Thank you for tuning in to The Grammar of Grief with your host, Uma Girish, the show that is dedicated to creating a safe space to discuss the big life questions around grief, loss, death, and dying. Now, here's your host, Uma Girish. Today, I have a really special guest for you. My guest today is Dorothy Ferlin, wife of Mike Ferlin, mother to six wonderful grown children and nine grandchildren. Now, when I usually introduce a guest, I talk about the books they've written, their achievements as a coach or speaker or retreat leader. Dorothy is none of that, but she's no less special. If anything, she's even more special and dear to me. Dorothy is one of the regulars in a life story group I facilitate in the senior living community where she lives. She shares the best stories from her life and has a real gift for storytelling. I think of Dorothy as a wise elder I've had the good fortune to meet and know and come to love. So why did I invite her to be a guest on my show? Dorothy is no stranger to tragedy. She was only 45 when her 17-year-old son, Joe, was instantly killed in a road accident. The reason why I'm presenting Dorothy to you today is because she continues to meet life with joy and curiosity in her 80s without letting the very difficult death of her beloved Joe shut down her beautiful heart. It's my deep joy and deep honor to introduce you to Dorothy Ferlin. Welcome, Dorothy. I'm so glad we're finally having this conversation. Thank you so much, Uma. So can you begin by briefly describing the circumstances under which you lost your son? Uh, briefly, but it, it, I've got to tell you more than briefly because Joe, is, Joe wasn't brief. Joe was, as all of us, our children are, you know. Um, Joe and I were having a conversation in our home. He was about to go to work, part-time job. He had just graduated high school. And he stood there with his hands to his side in, um, in frustration and fear, just his hand, palms out, Mom, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He projecting his whole future at that moment. And I said, Joe, this is the summer. You've got a part-time job. You're going to play. You're going to have fun in the summer. I mean, in the fall, you're going to junior college you'll get direction from that, and it'll change, and you'll get direction from that. I said, Joe, I'm so glad you live in this house. I love you. He said, Ma, I love you, and I'm so glad I live here too. And with that, he went his way, I went mine. Within eight minutes or less, I was go- I went across the street the neighbor was having a backyard coffee uh, to greet a new neighbor. And I walked across to also greet this new neighbor to the neighborhood. And the police came. And as soon as I saw them, I knew. I knew what had happened. I didn't know what, how it happened. Joe was on his way to work. Like I say, I went out the front door to the neighbor, and he went around the back and got his bike. and. He was making a turn, a truck made an illegal turn, and the two collided. I did not see it. 
but Joe died under a sign that said, no trucks allowed. And he died instantly. Hmm. Wow. How did you cope with his death in the early weeks and months? I mean, you had said, I love you to each other. He stepped out, and eight minutes later, this beloved boy of yours is gone. How did you cope with that pain? The first three weeks, I didn't. I went into a state of hopelessness, and hopelessness is very different than grief. Hopelessness is when you have nothing, absolutely nothing. I felt I was in this bottomless pit. I don't know what was holding me up. And I was going through the motions because there's six other children and there's a husband and they have all lost. So I think I'm doing all the right thing. During this three-week period, I lost over 20 pounds. I wasn't aware I wasn't eating. Again, I thought I was doing all the things right. Our oldest son, who has been, I've told him many times, he should have been my parent instead of the other way around. He was go- Our children went to college. Uh, three others were in college when Joe was killed. Uh, this was the end of uh, July. He came back every weekend from Chicago. And that after three weeks, he looked at me and he said, Mother, you're dying before us. I thought it would be Father but it's you, and there's nothing any of us can do. We had a large mirror over the fireplace in the living room, and I said, oh, my, go look at that. Look at me. I look fine. He said, no, Mother, you look at that. You look at you. And I went upstairs, and I laid across the bed, and Uma, I assure you, you can will yourself dead. And I was, and I thought, What right do I have? I'm not the only one who lost. No other child can feel that Joe was more, that I would die losing him, that they were not enough to live for. What was my husband going through? I had no right to abandon him. And I prayed like I've never prayed before. I begged. Sweet Jesus, you promised if it's too much. You will take it away. Don't make me stronger. Don't make this pain less. Just take it away. And for whatever reason, I sat up and out of the corner of the bedroom, and I still have that visual is is as though it happened five minutes ago. There was like a beam of light. I have no other way to describe it. It was a beam of light, not coming down, and yet it came down. And with that I was more joyous than I have ever been in my life. And I've been happy in my life. And with that, I thought, Joe, how can I be this happy without you? And I felt guilt, and I went right back into that hopelessness. And I don't know why, but again, I laid down on the bed. Why? I don't know the meaning of all that. My prayer was I was laying on the bed, and again, I had that feeling to sit up. It was the same prayer. I sat up, again, that same light. For the second time, I rejected it. How can I be this happy without you, Joe? You are dead three weeks. For the third time, I repeated that prayer, 
And it is it was begging. It was begging from the core of me that I didn't know I had. And I've prayed in my life, but not not to the core like this. And the third time I sat up and the third time there was that light. And then I finally accepted it and said, Joe, if I can be this happy on earth without you, what must you be feeling? And from that moment on, hopelessness was gone. And never, it has never come back, ever, ever. But then grief came in. And grief is another, it's another animal all of its own. Mm, that is such a beautiful story. And you make such a good point because so many women who work with me speak about if I don't have this pain, how can I feel the connection? I can't be happy when my loved one is dead. If I'm not feeling the pain, I'm not connecting to them in spirit. And so you make a really good point about if you are feeling this sense of joy sitting on that bed, feeling that light on you, how much happier Joe must have been? What, what must he have been experiencing um, in the realm or from that place where the light came from? I think that's what I'm hearing you say. And that, and that was my feeling. That was my feeling. Right. And, and, and Joe deserved for me to be happy. Joe deserved to have a mother live her life and care for other children and a husband. Joe deserved me to become, not to run and hide. I owed it to that dead boy. Now, Dorothy, you and I have spoken about this in the past, but would you go back to that moment? I think it was during Joe's memorial service when you decided to forgive the man who killed your boy. Would you tell that story for us, please? Yes. I don't know that I ever... I never... I resented the fact that he did not follow the rules. Here's a sign that says no trucks allowed. He lives on that street. He fought. I resented that. But I never, I never hated him. He, um, we had to have an inquest. He, first of all, he did come. He did come to the visitation and uh, asked to talk with us, and he brought a priest with him. So we went off to the side, and he said, I did not see your son until I hit him. Then a week or so later, there had to be an inquest because of, I don't understand the law part of it, but, <clears throat> and the driver of that truck had his attorney with him. And then the driver of the truck said, we collided. And I thought that poor man, when he spoke with me the first time, he told me the truth. And now he lawyered up. He had an attorney telling him, this is what you say. And for him, I think to, for him to live through that, he had to believe that. We all do things in our life that are careless. Fortunately, we don't all kill someone. Um, 
but we all find a way, we find a story to get through it. Um, I have a friend who talks about our secret self. We have a secret self that no one else knows. Mm. This man needed to have to say that. And my heart just went out to him. I, I, I can't imagine living with what happened if I had been that driver of that truck. I don't know how you live through that. I know, that is such a beautiful perspective you've taken, even though he killed your son. But I hear what you're saying, because he's going to have to live with that story for the rest of his life. For every waking moment, he's going to know in his soul that he did this. And this mistake that he did took a life. Every every time he sees a kid on a bike, every time he sees a young man, every time he sees a bike, every time he sees that sign. I, I, or any no trucks. I, I don't know how. I don't know how. I have never reached out to talk with him. And in the back of my head, I think, I wish I had. I wish I had thought to go to his home and talk with him. And for some reason, it just, it didn't work out that way. But on hindsight, I wish I'd had the wisdom at that time to do it. Now, how has the loss of a child changed you and your marriage? Because you and I have talked about this too, that not too many marriages survive the death of a child. How is it that you have been changed and how have you and your husband managed to stay together through this difficult event in your life? I was totally shocked when I read that 90% of marriages end following the death of a child. And after the fact, after experiencing it, I understand why. No one is any, I was not a help to any of my children. I was of no help to my husband. We were all on our own raft in the ocean. And we were getting through it any way we could. There was, we, we had nothing to give each other. There was just nothing I have the good fortune of being married to a man who has accepted me as I am right from the beginning. He never restricted. I had dated young men who they want, you know, you're the girlfriend, you stay with me all evening, or you don't dance with this person, or you're giving that one too much attention. There is none of that with my husband. It is just I am who I am, and he accepts me totally. Following the death of Joe, I became more me. I erased all, um, all the all the shoulds you grew up with. You should do this. You mm-hmm. should do that. I erased that. I erased um, any guilt I had ever had of being lust. Um, I was given permission to become me, and I accepted it, and it was, it was, my husband had been supportive of me all prior to that, and and in his grief, you know, things, this was not talked about, but I could, I could just see it. However I was grieving, he did not, he did not interfere. Um, 
And in the meantime, here he is grieving. At one point, he said, I'm going to leave. And I think I'm going to take the truck. We had a, a pickup. A, one of the vehicles was a pickup engine. Seven kids we had. We had more than one car. And I said, oh, you are? And he said, yes. And I said, Mike, if you have to do that, you have to do that. But he never left. I gave him permission to leave, and he didn't need it. He just stayed. And that, and, and it just went from there on. We each handled what we needed to handle the way we mm-hmm. could. It was the heartache. Was, it was the heartache was to see your grown children. Now Joe was the mm-hmm. fourth child. Um, like I said, there were three in college. Uh, Joe and one of his brothers were extremely close, and he was extremely close to one of his sisters. Um, in fact, he called one of his sisters his best friend, which was very nice. But this one brother, they went on camping trips, they went on bike hikes, they did lot together. And when that boy, when our other son came home from college for Thanksgiving, he sat up, I was doing something in my room and he came upstairs and sat on my bed and he found, with his fist, he pounded on the bed, I want my brother back. And I mm-hmm. could do nothing. I could do nothing. And that's what's one of the things that's so awful about loss. You can do nothing for anyone. They've got to do it themselves. No one should tell you, oh, think of this or think of that. Whatever your feeling is, is real. You handle it your way. It may be clumsy. It may be smooth, but it's your way. I could do nothing Mm -hmm. for anyone. Um, I I very quickly want to say that I made a mistake in, when I introduced you. I said six children. I actually thought it was six, including Joe, but it, uh, I think it's seven, seven is the right number, right? So I, I don't yeah. want anyone Joe. to think I'm not including Joe. Joe is very much a part of your family, and, your life. So yeah. I and Joe I and Joe was the middle. No, I I didn't I I took it as living children uh, when you said six. I, you know why I didn't correct you. And Joe was the middle child. You know, Dorothy, when I met you, I didn't realize this was your story, that you were carrying the story and, and walking around with it in your heart. But I always see you as someone who's so engaged with life, who's so open, so curious, um, you are really accepting of people. I learn something new from you every time I spend time with you, and that's one of the main reasons why um, I love you for who you are. So my question is, how have you managed to recreate your life in such a way that there's joy and meaning in it? Well, first of all, I'm very selfish. <laughs> I, 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 I just... I need to get all I can get because maybe I'm, you know, selfish by nature. I do not get angry. I anger to me. If I when the thought of being angry is giving someone else my power, and I don't want to give away my power, so I don't remember ever being angry. I I've had arguments with my husband, but not in anger, in frustration. Um, and going back to Joe. When you look 
when you just analyze the situation, and I've done, I've looked at this thing every which way. I've had the best of the worst. Joe was killed instantly, instantly, no pain. How many parents are out there with a child who is born with a deformity, with an illness? How many have children that have died of cancer? That's all in their memory. I have none of that in my memory of Joe. One of our children says, you know, Ma, you and Joe, no, how did he say that? Ma, Joe was tailor-made for you. We connected. We just connected on ev- on every level. He he knew I liked percussion. He'd be listening. He had headphones, and he'd be listening to music. And he'd take him off. Ma, come listen, come listen. And I'd put on the headphones and listen to the percussion. Uh, little, and and he was the most problematic of the kids. He was the one that I had to look out for the most. Like one of his brothers said, he's so dumb he always gets caught. He wasn't oh. wise enough to, you know, he just, uh, he was Joe. <laughs> mm. um, and I had the privilege to be his mother for 17 years. That's a privilege no other female on earth has had. So you look at what you had, not what you lost. Look what I had. Very wise word. It's very special. It's a special. It is special that I had, that I was gifted with that child. So what would you say to a mother who's grieving the death of her child? Because I know so many mothers are struggling out there. I happen to work with many of them. And there is almost nothing that you can say that will make the pain go away or better. But you stand in those shoes, and so I'm I'm willing to ask you, what would you say to a mother who's in so much pain over the death of her child? I think the most important thing is acceptance. Once you accept, this is reality. One of my friends, two of my friends, each had a friend who had lost a child and said, you seem to be getting along well, losing Joe. Can my friend come and talk with you? One of these women, did. Well, they both came, but separately. One came and said, every day she goes down to the playroom to see if her child is there. Her child was dead for over 18 months. She had changed nothing in the playroom, his clothes, nothing. She was nowhere near acceptance. It takes courage to accept. The other one, when she came to speak with me, she said, I'm angry. I'm mad as hell, and that's the only way I can handle this, and I'm going to stay mad. And to me, that was such an insult to that dead child. Mm. That how, how, how you have to honor that child. It doesn't matter how you grieve, I don't think. The way you grieve is the way you grieve. There's no wrong way. You get through it any way you can, and no one can tell you how to do it. The wisest thing one person said to me was at the visitation, a friend of my husband's, he said, hang in there, kid. People said things mm-hmm. like, God needed him. How stupid. God doesn't need Um I I can't even tell you some of the stupid things people said, trying to be kind, but this man said it all, 
hang in there because it's you and it's you alone. If you have a God, if you have a higher power, if you have, no one's going to do it for you. No one. I think that's such an important truth. No one's going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And I think we make a choice moment by moment by moment. I believe that in all areas of life. Mm -hmm. All areas of life. It's how are you going to live it? Who do you want to be? Without consciously thinking it. It's just who you become. And accepting that who you are is okay. Um, I grew up with a lot of shoulds. I didn't measure up. My mother was very insecure, and my sister was Mm -hmm. a star, and I should be like her. Um, When I was at home, I was one person. When I was out, I was who I was. After Joe's death, I was me all the time. Um, I didn't sidestep saying things that my mother might not like. Um, You just... You grow up, and some of us, it takes a lot longer than others. Some of us never do because it's hard. I And anyone who's lost a child, whatever you're going through, know that other people have gone through it, not the way you are, and there's no right or wrong way. You just do it. That is great advice, Dorothy. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you're feeling called to share as we wrap up? I can't think of anything. I certainly do appreciate telling this story. I consider this a love story. Um, Three weeks before Joe died, he went to a church with a, a new girlfriend. Not a serious, but, a, you know, he was 17, you know. And they went to a youth group. I don't. I know the church. I don't know what kind it was, but they had a youth minister there. And the following morning, Joe came down the kitchen and he says, "You know, Ma, there really is a Jesus Christ, Ma. You know, Ma, I always knew it, but now I know it. Do you know the difference, Ma? Now I know it." I said, "Yeah, Joe, I do know the difference." He said, "And if you follow what he says." You can make a difference in this world. And three weeks later, he was dead. Wise boy, Dorothy. At 17. And not just that it's following what Jesus says. If you listen to what Gandhi says, if you listen to what Mandela says, if you listen to the people who have lived life, follow what they say. Your life is so rich. Mm-hmm. I hear you, which is why I felt so compelled to invite you to share your wisdom with us because there are so many listeners who could use what you're saying. So many people need to hear this, um, especially because you have lived four and a half decades after you lost your son, and it hasn't been a time of bitterness and anger and misery and pain. I'm not saying you haven't had grief in your heart, but you found a way to move on and you found a way to enjoy your family and enjoy the world and enjoy life. So that's why your story inspires me so much and that's why I wanted to invite you to be on my show. So thank you for coming again. I'm so deeply honored to know you. 
Thank you for that compliment. Um, I do want to add that, as you know, I'm a talker, and I did have a good friend that I could talk with. So I heal, I, I heal verbally. Um, some people don't. That I, I do. Even I can remember driving the car, pulling over to the side and saying, this is my life. This is my life. I had to say it out loud. This is my life. You know, I'm putting in my head, this is the way it's going to be. Even that was verbal. I said it out loud in the car alone. I didn't do it just in my head. So we all we all find our way. Uma, thank you for the compliment. I love telling my love story of Joe. And um, I'll see you when I see you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you to all you listeners for tuning in today. I'm sure this is uh, an episode you won't forget in a hurry. Write to me, email me through my website, and tell me what you loved about this conversation, what insights you're taking away, what aha moments you've had. And if you haven't had a chance to read my book, Losing Amma, Finding Hope, a memoir about love, loss, and life's detours, you can find it on Amazon. And if you're really grappling with the brain fog of grief, head over to my website, umagirish.com, and you'll find a free PDF download, 10 Gentle Ways to Beat Brain Fog While You're Grieving. Thank you again for supporting the Grammar of Grief, and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Grammar of Grief with Uma Girish. If you enjoyed the program, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. Connect with Uma at www.umagirish.com. That's U-M-A-G-I-R-I-S-H.com for grief guidance and inspiration.